Shalom and welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast on another lovely, beautiful, holy Shabbat. All praises to the Most High, Yah, and His Son, Yahusha. I am Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is my father, my dad, Pastor Richard Washington. We want our listeners to know that we are broadcasting live every Shabbat at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So we love to have you listen to us live. But if you are unable to listen to us live, we are still uploading our podcast, but it will be a week later. So the podcast that comes out today will be a week later. So just so you know that. And also, if you have any questions or comments while the podcast is live and you're watching us live, feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com before I show ends. And we will try to get your comment or your question in before the end of the show. So I'm about to turn it over to the pastor. Pastor, what are we going to be studying today? Okay, we're going to kind of start where we left off last week. Uh, we were dealing uh, with how the ceiling somewhat involves our minds. And what we want to do is where we left off is to be able to see what Elohim's seal is. And also what the mark of the beast is. Now, here, here's what we want to do. We want to understand the, the seal of Elohim. And then once we understand pretty thoroughly what the seal of Elohim is, then we want to deal with the mark of the beast because what we're going to do, we're going to make some comparisons between the seal of Elohim and the mark of Satan. So, so, so in order to do that, we're going to first look at the, the 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 seal of Elohim then we'll look at the seal at, at the mark of the uh, of the beast and then we're going to put them together and see if there's a correlation so today what we want to deal with is what we call some of the function the functions of a seal in other words if Elohim have a seal with them what what is the function of the seal so with that in mind let us pray eternal father and again we thank you for the privilege of being able to have another opportunity to be able to discuss your word and to be able to explore your covenant that we can be able to see how it impacts our lives even this day. And as we go through the Shabbat, we ask, O oh, Father, that you would help us keep it as you have made it, and that is holy. May the blood of Yeshua cover us, wash us from our sins, cleanse us through the water of your word, and then inspire us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we may be able to not only teach but also to understand and eventually to put in practice the things that we learn. These blessings we ask in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. And amen. Okay, now, so uh, we want to deal with some of the functions of a seal. Okay, but let's first turn to the book of Revelation and see what we are dealing with. <clears throat> now, in the book of Revelation, we want to turn to chapter 7. <clears throat> Book of Revelation, chapter 7, okay, and if I could recall correctly, it was the uh, verse 3, oh, 6, okay, let me see, <clears throat> think of it, yes, verse 3, Revelation 7, 3, and it says, saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have seal the servants of our Elohim in their foreheads. 
Okay. So we see here that even though they're talking about Russia and these different places breaking out into war, the Bible says the angels are still holding the winds of strife back. He's still holding them. Okay, they may roar and do this and that, but they won't be able to break loose totally until Elohim releases his angels from the four corners of the earth. So it, 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 it says here he's holding them, and, and the purpose of holding them is because he has to seal some of his servants. Okay, now when we back up and we go back to verse 2 of Revelation 7, it says, And I saw another angel ascend from the east, having the seal of the living Elohim. Now, in verse 3, we were was, we was shown that he's holding back turmoil and strife and war until he sealed his servants. But we said out of the four uh, angels who are holding back the winds of strife, there was another angel, and this angel was coming from the east, and he had the seal of the living Elohim. So what we are trying to do in our studies here is to find out what is this seal so that we can be uh, knowledgeable concerning it, okay? So, as I've said, the title of our uh, discourse here uh, today is The Functions of a Seal. As we approach uh, this part of our study, we want to see if we can clarify what the seal of Yah is. In biblical times, seals serve at least three functions. So let us observe them. The first uh, function, or the first one, we consider is that of identification. We will refer to this as the recognition function. So when we deal with the recognition function, in this particular function a, of a seal, we are dealing with identification. A seal provides some form of distinction as to what something uh or, or what something or somebody is. So in essence, a seal should be able to give us some indications as to it, as to it, uh, what it is we are dealing with. So when we look at a seal, it should be able to tell us somewhat of what we are dealing with. So the next aspect of a seal is that of uh, which stands in the place of something. A seal stands in the place of something. And we refer uh, to this aspect as the representative state uh, function, the representative function. Now, the representative function in this particular function of a seal, we are dealing with it as it represents something or somebody. In biblical times, as well as today, seal... A uh, seal stands in the place of a king or a president, and when they send out a law or a document, this document have their seal on it to let them know whose authority that this particular document is under. So they have a seal on that document. And when we uh, look in the biblical times as well as today, Seal stands in the place of a king, a president, and when they send out a law or some legislation within their domain, the seal they attach to the documents, they send out to represent them. Now, the third aspect of a seal is that of authority. 
we will refer to this aspect as the rulership or the function. Now, the rulership function in this particular function of a seal, we are dealing with it as it concerns uh, itself with rulership. Now, when a ruler sends out an edict or a decree, his seal was on it to give it the necessary authority to enforce its significance. Okay. Now that we have briefly looked at the function of a seal, let, <clears throat> let's turn our attention to what it is, what is in a seal. And we refer to this section as the substance of a seal. In other words, we want to know, you know, what's in a seal. Okay. Now, uh, the substance of a seal. All right, now, I want you to turn with me in the book of Hadassah or the book of Esther. I want to look at the book of Esther. And in this particular book, uh, we want to look at some things here about a seal. Okay, that's the book of Esther. And in that particular book, uh, in that particular book, we want to turn to Esther and we want to look at chapter chapter 8, Esther chapter 8 in the book of Esther. So we want to get a handle on what we call a seal. Okay. Let me see if I can find Esther here. Esther chapter 8, and you deal with the time of the Persian Empire. All right, here we are, Esther chapter 8, and we want to look at a couple verses in uh, Esther in, in verse chapter 8. Okay, now, here in Esther, and we're looking at chapter 8, uh, we want to look at a couple of verses. So what we're dealing with is the substance of a seal concerns itself with what is in a seal. We want to see what, what, is, what is in it. While there are a number of different types of seals, however, for the most part, a seal contains several things. So let us see what are some of the things of which a seal contains, of which we refer to as the substance of a seal. Now, when we look in the book of Esther uh, concerning a seal, it has... Uh, it was a part uh, of, uh, of of the king's attire. So here we read in Esther, and in Esther chapter 8, we also want to consider verse 8. It says, Write ye also for the Jews as it liketh you in the king's name, and seal it with the king's ring for the writing which is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's ring, may no man reverse. So here down in the Persian Empire, when Mordecai and Esther was down there, and they had a certain decree, and they were trying to kill all of the Jews, and, and uh, Esther wanted the king to reverse the decree, but the king says whatever the Medes and the Persian had declared, they couldn't change it. But, he, but what he did for Mordecai and Esther and their people, 
even though he didn't change the death decree, he made another decree in which they could fight back and defend themselves and do what was necessary. And he said, once we make this decree, I'm going to have you to sign it and put my signature on it. And it is going to have my seal on it. And my seal is on my ring. So they had seals on that ring that when they had a document, oftentimes, if they would write it in clay or wax or whatever, they would make an impression with the king's ring on there. So when the people saw this particular decree go around into their empire, they would know that it was authentic because they were familiar with the king's uh, uh, insignia or the seal that he had. So here we see he used his ring for a seal. Now, in the same chapter, uh, Esther chapter 8, we also want to look in verse number 10. It said, and he wrote in the king, and he wrote in, and he wrote in the king Ahasuerus name and sealed it with the king's ring and sent letters by post on horseback and riders on mules and camels and young dromedaries, okay? Now, what it is saying is, once he had written this decree or this order, he sent it around in, the, in their transportation with donkeys and horses and, and camels and mules, and when it got to all of his domain, when they looked at it to know it was official, they would see the king's uh, insignia or the seal that he had attached to it and know that know that, that was an official document. So when the Jews was taking weapons and doing things to defend themselves, nobody could say it didn't come from the office of the king because the king's insignia was on there. Nobody else had that ring but um, uh, Ahasuerus, but, but, but the king. And, and he was the uh, husband of Esther, so, so the king Ahasuerus was the one that had the authority to do what he did, okay? So when we consider that, what we are dealing with is that that ring was so important because it had his seal to give the authority of how to govern his empire. However, in the passage, we, we aren't given either a description of the king's ring nor what the seal looked like, we, we, that's not given. But no doubt, if it were to go back to antiquity and arrive at the artifacts of rings and, and their documents, uh, they, and the documents they seal, we would have more of a portrait of the ancient seal. Now, since we don't have access to the historical data to actually validate an ancient seal, we can surmise and as we surmise, uh, we would have to use our common sense approach. Now, we know that on the ring that he had, now we could surmise and say, well, his name was on it. And we can say, well, he may have had a certain insignia that was, that was on there. But whatever he had on there was something that the people knew represented the king. So in our uh, surmising, since we know that they had seals back then, we could no doubt draw the conclusion that those who composed the citizenry 
or the uh, the people that it was in his domain that he was ruling as emperor over would recognize his seal. Just like we in the United States, if a seal came out, we would know according to the seal of whether from, from our president or somebody else because the president's seal is going to have certain things on it. Consequently, in very much the same way we surmise about an ancient seal, even so, we can use this surmising for the seal to uh, uh, to be to be in ancient times or modern times. So, whether it's ancient or modern, a seal is something that can both be recognizable by those issuing the seal and also those who are recipients of it. So, what we are basically saying is, in an empire, you had those who was issuing the seal and those who was recipients of, of that particular seal. And if we discern a seal by something that is re- recognizable, then it would come, then it comes, then when it comes to the seal of Elohim, it should be something that he issues and those who receive uh, such also recognize it. So if Elohim have a seal, it should be something that he is putting forth and it should be something that we can recognize. Now, we will consider uh, uh, Yah's seal. Does it show recognition, representation, and rulership? See, we said that a seal should have those three things. It have something we recognize, it represents something, and it had rulership. So how does Yah's seal of authority and, and ownership manifest itself in his word. In order to deal with this manifestation, let us consider where Yah places his, his seals. See, he has a place, he's placed his seal, okay? And we are told that Yah uh, would have his people to be sealed, okay? So where does he place the seal? Or let's turn back to the book of Revelation and to find out where does he place this seal, okay? And that's Revelation chapter 7, and and in the verse that we read earlier, Revelation 7, and we want to consider verse 3, Revelation 7, 3. Now, the Bible tells us that uh, he wants to, well, let me just read the verse. He says, saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our Elohim in their foreheads. So the Bible is telling us here that when he sealed us, he's going to seal us where? In our foreheads, okay? That's where he seals us. And so when he seals us in, a, in his forehead, then that is the place of our reasoning, our intellect. Okay, so furthermore, we are told in scriptures something else about the forehead, and that's found in Revelation chapter 14, okay? In Revelation chapter 14, and we're going to consider verse 1. Revelation 14, 1 says this. It says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him a hundred forty and four thousand, having his father's names, having his father's name written in their forehead. Okay, now, here we see that the seal is in the forehead, and now the Bible is telling us that not only does he put a seal in our forehead, but the Father's name is written 
in their foreheads. So we see two things in the forehead. Number one, we see his, his seal, and number two, we see the Father's name. So apparently if both the seal and the Father's name are in one's forehead, there appears to be an affinity between them. In other words, there's an association between them. There's a union between the two. There is uh, a connection between the seal of Elohim and the Father's name. They both in the forehead. Now, let's see if we can find out what this affinity is between the seal and his name. We will start with the seal. In this part of our study, we will refer to as the science of a seal, the science of a seal. Now, earlier in our study of the seal, we discussed three functions of a seal. Namely, it was for recognition, it was for representation, and it was for rulership. Moreover, we are also pointed out that a seal can be recognized by both uh, the one who issues it and those who are recipients of it. Now, in this part of, of a seal, we want to point out in Yah's seal some significant factors which make up his seal. Okay. Now, when we explore Yah's word in order to determine what possible, what possibly could his seal be, what we find is that mysteriously, strangely, he doesn't use any physical matter, but rather spiritual and mental matter of which we refer to as the pneumos psychological. Let us consider this term in the light of its relationship to Yah's seal. We're talking about the pneumo psychological. This is uh, made up of basically uh, three words, but basically two. The pneumos, which means spirit, and the psychological, which means the mind. So when we deal with the pneumo psychological, we are dealing with, uh, when we deal with the pneumo psychological, which comes from these two particular uh, Greek words, pneumos and, and psychos, we are dealing, we are concerning ourselves with the study of the science of the relationship of the spirit and the mind. It is from our spirit that we get the spiritual, and it is from our mind that we get the mental. It is from the spiritual that we get our spirituality, and it is from the mental that we get our mentality. When we examine the spirit and the mind of a man, of a person, it wasn't until Yah fashioned the physical being of Adam that he was able to receive a man. So let us turn to Genesis. Let us turn to Genesis chapter 2. Two and we want to explore verse number uh, seven, Genesis two seven. <clears throat> okay, now in Genesis chapter two and verse seven, here's what it says. It says, and and Yah Elohim formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. 
Okay, so what are we experiencing in this text? We're experiencing that when physically Adam was made, he was a lifeless creature. He only came to life when Elohim breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And when he breathed in there, then Adam became a living, vibrant being. He had life in him. He, and the life that he had came from his creator. It came from his creator's spirit. It came from his creator's breath. When he breathed it in there, he became a living soul. So what we must take into consideration is that Adam didn't become a living and a thinking individual until he received Yah's breath. Once Adam, having been invigorated with, his, with, the, with Yah's spirit, he became a living, thinking creature. He, can, he was living and he could think. If Adam became a living and a, and a, and a thinking creature, when he received of Yah's breath, then we must draw the conclusion that Adam's life and thoughts were, a, were, were as a result of Yah's spirit penetrating his being and activating his brain. So when Elohim put his spirit into Adam, what he was doing, it was giving him life, but he was giving him also the ability to think. So Adam's mind was endowed with the highest capacity of thinking in the universe, which was bestowed upon him by his creator. So when his creator breathed into uh, 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 Adam, then he breathed life, but he also breathed into him his mentality, his ability to think. So when we got the spirit in us, we have life, but we also have the ability to think. So Adam's mind was akin to his creator's mind, which meant he could think like his creator. And what we notice uh, 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 about his ability is that Elohim gave him, a, him an assignment. Let's look at the assignment that he gave to Adam when he created him. And we turn to uh, Genesis chapter 2, same chapter, and we want to consider verses 19 and 20. Genesis chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Now, here's what it says. It said, And out of the ground, Yah Elohim formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought unto Adam and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all of the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. Okay, so in other words, Adam said, uh, Elohim said that when he created Adam and he breathed into him, he wanted to test out the equipment that he had put into Adam and said, one of the best ways I can attest it, I'm going to give him the assignment to name the animals. And the Bible says explicitly that whatever Adam named these creatures, he said that was the name. Nobody could add to it or take it away. Why was he saying that? Because he knew that he had imparted to Adam a part of his mind through his spirit. And he knew if Adam came up with names of these animals, he would come up with the same name that Elohim would have named them because both of them had the same capacity of the principles of doing 
analytical work on these animals to determine what he would name them. So when Adam named them, he said, that's going to be the name thereof because the equipment that I put in him is the same equipment that I got into myself. And if I trust myself, I had to trust Adam because this is what I put into him. So that's what we are seeing in, 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 in the spirit. We're seeing the ability to have life and the ability to be able to think and reason. So his mind was capable of carrying the ta- uh, 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 of carrying the ta- uh, uh, the task of properly naming the creatures of which Yah created, because what abilities and principles were in his creator's mind were also in his mind, and no doubt what he named them would also be what his creator would have them named because their minds were both syncretized by the same principles. So what we also want to bring into perspective is that at the end of the creation week, the seventh day, Elohim did something special. And let's look at that at the end of the creation week. And that's found in Genesis 2. Chapter 2 and verse 3. This is what happened at the end of the creation week. And here it says in verse 3, And Elohim blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which Elohim created and made. So the Bible is saying that at the end of creation, he said the seventh day, he said he blessed that day and he sanctified it. So uh, what we are looking at basically here is that this day was a special day through the seventh day. They was to be free from work, yet the period itself was something that Adam and Eve would have to be mentally, would have to use their mentality to understand. Okay? Now, Each of the seven days of the creation had to deal with one's man, not one's senses. Time is something that cannot be understood by one's... uh, In other words, time is something that is understood by one's man. That's the only way you can deal with time. While each day of the creation dealt with time in the sense of a certain duration, even though in the creation, each of the seven days, no doubt, dealt with the same duration of time, yet there was something different uh, and special about the seventh day. Now, we pointed out that the seventh day was blessed and sanctified. Moreover, when we read about the seventh day of the week, in Exodus, and let us turn to Exodus and re- read about it. In uh, Exodus chapter 20, and we want to consider verse 8, Exodus uh, 20, verse 8. Now, here in Exodus 20, verse 8, the Bible tells us in the introduction of this uh, fourth commandment, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Okay? So in, the first, in, in Exodus 28, it says, remember the Sabbath day. Now, this word remember has to do with our minds, see, when you remember, you have to have a mentality. So this word, remember, has to do with our mind. 
our faculties, our thoughts, our thought process. So we can see that the seventh-day Sabbath is associated to time, and time is associated to our minds, okay? So the seventh day is connected with time, and time is associated with our minds. So when he says, remember the Sabbath day, he is talking to our cognitive faculties. He is talking to our mental faculties. That's what he's saying. I want you to remember it. Well, how do you remember it? Because he gave you a man. When he breathes his spirit in it, he gave you a man. Okay, so now what we want to look at is this, that if we're saying that Elohim's seal has to do with the man, then the man has to do with time. So what we're going to look at in the next phase of, uh, of the study is what we call the, the chronology of Yah's seal or the chronology of Elohim's seal. In other words, we want to see how uh, 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 the chronology works, okay? Okay, there are a number of Hebrew and Greek words for time. Now, determining upon what type of time is being talked about would be the word used to describe it. However, even though there are a plethora of words for time, the one that we selected is the Greek word, which is chronos, chronos, which basically means time. So the word for time in Greek is chronos. So when we take the word uh, chronos and put a suffix like ology on the end of it, then what we have is chronology, okay? Now, the suffix ology means the study or the science of, okay? So when we take the word ology and put it on the word chronos, we have chronology, which means the study of time or the science of time. Consequently, when we, use, when we study time, we have to, when we study uh, time, we have the study of the time or the science of time of which we coin our word chronology. Chronology means the study of time. So what we want to point out in this relationship of Elohim's seal is that it is made up of time, okay? So the material use to make up Yah's seal is not composed of material matter in the sense that uh, its physical substance can both be altered or destroyed by man or his weapons. You see, when we talk about man's seal, it is made up of material substance, like a king's ring or some kind of an apparatus that can make a certain mark in wet clay and when it's hard, and you can see the seal. There's a lot of artifacts that they have discovered in ancient bibli bibliography that, and uh, in biblical archaeology, that is, that they have found seals on different type of documents and stuff like that. Those are material seals. But when we get to Elohim, he is dealing with our minds, and he is not dealing with that which is tangible or of a touchable nature. Time cannot be discerned by the physical senses. Time doesn't vibrate 
it cannot be, it, it doesn't make a sound. Time doesn't make a noise and it cannot be heard. Time doesn't have an appearance and it cannot be seen. Time doesn't have a substance and it cannot be felt. Time doesn't have an aroma, it cannot be smelled. Time doesn't have a, a flavor, it cannot be tasted. Time doesn't have any sensual means, it can only be understood by the mind. When you deal with time, the only thing that you can use is the mind. Even Elohim, when he was in the creation week, when he talked about the first three days of creation, you know, he separated each day by time, but then he put in the heavens celestial bodies like the sun, the moon, and the stars to keep time, but you cannot see time. Those are things that regulate time. Just like when we look at a watch or a clock or a minute glass, or, or a sundial. These things were not time. They were just apparatus to help us to keep track of time. But you cannot use any senses to see time. In order to understand time, you have to use your mind. So when he said, remember the Sabbath day, he's talking about your mind. Consequently, <clears throat> if Yah's seal is to be put into one's forehead, it appears that it has to do, it has something to do with one's thoughts process. Now that we have seen the association of time with the man, let us now see if <clears throat> where the Sabbath time can also be a seal. So if it's dealing with time and the Sabbath is dealing with time, let us see how this can become a seal, okay? How can the Sabbath be a seal then? All right, let us turn to Exodus again. And I believe that we are already there, Exodus <clears throat> chapter 10, I mean chapter 20, that is, actually that's chapter 20. I want to read the verse, we're going to start again with verse number 8. <clears throat> now hear what the scripture says. Exodus 20, verse 8 and following, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall thy labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Shabbat of Yah, thy Elohim. In it thou should not do any work, Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days Yah made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, and rested on the seventh day. Wherefore, Yah blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Okay. Now, when we examine the Shabbat time, there are a number of elements contained therein which lend themselves to a seal. If, as we have stated earlier in our study, that the functions of a seal is, to, is for, uh, uh, for recognition, representation, and rulership, let us see if these functions are in or contained in the Shabbat commandment. So we refer to this section of our study as the Shabbat elements of a seal. So let's look at it. So the first thing that we want to look at is the, is the, is the Shabbat elements of a seal. So we want to look into the fourth commandment and see if we can find the elements of a seal there. In this section, we want to be able to find within the 
fourth commandment, elements which would make up a seal. So when we turn to Exodus 20 and verse 11 that we have read to see if we can discover these elements of a seal, we want to ask ourselves the question, what would we be looking for in a seal outside of its functions? We know what its functions are, see? And so we want to look at outside of the functioning as something that is recognizable, representable, and rulership. So what are the elements in a seal which would enhance these factors? So again, if we think logical about a seal's content, what would it include? Let us do some surmising as to what would make sense as to the elements of a seal. Now, since a seal functions uh, recognition, representation, and rulership, let us <clears throat> compart let us uh, compartmental let us compartmentalize each of these functions of the seal and see what is needed in that function in order that the seal would make sense. In other words, what we're saying, we're going to take recognition, representation, and rulership, and each of those are going to be a compartment, and we're going to see out of each one of those departments of if we can find the necessary elements to make up a seal in the fourth commandment to substantiate those particular functions. So now we look at another topic or subtopic is the, the functional elements of a seal, the functional elements of a seal. So in this particular section of our discourse, we want to compartmentalize each of the functions of a seal and to surmise what would be needed in order for that particular function to be carried out. We would start with recognition and proceed to representation and rulership. We will refer to these functional parts of a seal as the compartmental function of the the compartmental functional elements of a seal. So we call this the compartment functional elements of recognition. Okay, how, how do we get something to be recognized? When we deal with the functional rec recognitional element, we are looking for an element which distinguishes and makes it different from other things. And one of the most reasonable means we can use to make something or somebody recogn recognizable is to give it a name. Isn't that the first thing we do for a child when a child is born into the world? Don't the first thing we think about is giving it a name? Why? Why do we give it a name? Because that's going to distinguish that child. And so Elohim seal, if it's a seal, seemed like he would distinguish it. And all around us, uh, we see seals. We see the double arches. And when people see the double arches, what do they, that, even without a name on it, around the world, they know that the double arches represents McDonald's. All around us, we see names of things on seals. 
in order to be able to recognize what it is. So when we get into names of things, we enter into a study or the science of naming, of which science we refer to as nomenclature, okay? This nomenclature science is one of the first sciences that Adam was given by his creator. So we want to look at what a nomenclature, nomenclature, N-O-M-E-N-C-L-A-T-U-R-E, nomenclature. It's a science of how to name things, okay? So let's go into that a little bit. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2 of what we previously read in verses 19 and 20. So Adam was given this assignment of nomenclature when he was first created. Now here's what the Bible said. Verse 19 said, And out of the ground Yah Elohim formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. Okay, He brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Now, the words to call something is to name it. When you call something something, it's the same as naming it, okay? So he wanted to know what Adam would name it. And verse 20 says, And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. So he entered into this art of naming stuff. So did not he who gave Adam the science, did not he himself also possess uh, science as well? Indeed, he did. When we read in Genesis concerning the cre- uh, creation, we can't but help at, uh, or notice that as Elohim was creating, he was naming things at the same time. So the ability that he had given Adam was the same ability that he himself possessed. So when we read in, in Genesis chapter 1, let's look at Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, and we look at verse number 5, notice what it says. It said, and Yah Elohim uh, called the light day, and the darkness he called night. You see how he's naming things? That's, he's constantly naming things. So when he gave uh, Adam the ability, he said, you're going to do the same thing that I did. I made things, and I named them. And you're going to uh, uh, be able to take my creation and study it, and you're going to name it. And as you name it, that's going to be the name. And then we'll read in, in, in Genesis 1.8, what does it say? In Genesis 1.8 it says, And Yah Elohim called the firmament heaven and the evening on the first day. So in other words, when he made heaven, he, when he made the firmament, he said, that's heaven. So he named it as he was creating it. And then we look at verse 10, it says, And Yah Elohim called the dry land earth and the gather together the waters he called seas. So what we see here, when you look at the land, he said, that's earth. When you look at the water, he said, it was the seas. So he was, he was naming it as he was going along with it. So if we say a name is essential for recognition, then let us see if we can find a name in the fourth commandment. Okay, let us turn back to Exodus 20 and see can we find a name in there. Because in order to have a seal, you got to have a name. Okay, so now here we have in Exodus chapter 20, and we're looking at uh, we're looking at verse number 10, Exodus 20:10. Now, when we look in the 10th verse, it says, uh, "But the seventh day is the Shabbat of Yah Elohim." Okay, 
so what we see here, his name is Yahuwah. And and then oftentimes when I, I pronounce that name, I, I just abbreviate it by saying Yah, Y-A-H. And there's different pronunciation for it. Some people call it Yahweh. Some people call it Yahweh Shawa. It's many name ways they pronounce it, but as you study it, then you'll come up with the name that you feel comfortable with and using. So when I use Yah, that's his name. So already we are saying his name is in the fourth commandment. You look at the rest of the Ten Commandments, it doesn't necessarily point out his name like this, okay? It points out his name. So here we see in portions of the fourth, fourth commandment, Elohim's name. Moreover, his name is further stated in verse 11. Notice what verse 11 says. It says, for, for in six days, Yah made heaven and earth. Okay, now we know that from the creation story, he made heaven and earth, but he's letting you know who did it. That's his name. So we can expect that his name is significant for the seal. So here we see in this portion of the fourth commandment, Elohim's name. Moreover, his name is further stated in verse 11, where he says, Yahuwah made the heavens and the earth. So here in the recognition compartment, we discover his name. Now that we know that his name is in the seal, what else would we need in order to be an official seal? This takes us to our next compartment. The next compartment is that of the uh, what we call the compartment functional elements of representation, okay? All right. We want to look at rec, uh, rec, uh, rec, rec, uh, uh, representation, all right? Now, we already looked at recognition. Now we're looking at uh, representation. So now, when we deal with the functional representation element, what we are looking for, what are we looking for? We are looking for elements or, or an element uh, that represents the name. So what represents the name? What we look for in this uh, fourth commandment is something that represents Yah or Yahuwah. In this particular part of our study, we enter into a most unique study or science we call uh, mnemonics. Okay, mnemonics. Let me spell that word for you because it's a word that we are not accustomed to using, but we're dealing with mnemonics. The word is spelled M-N-E-M-O-N-I-C. M-N-E-M-O-N-I-C, mnemonics. Now, this mnemonic science has to do with aiding our memory to remember something we experienced. This science of mnemonics is at the end of the creation when Elohim pronounce a blessing and is and sanctifying upon the seventh day. And that was in Genesis 2-3. When we read concerning the seventh day in, in Exodus 20, verse 8, we are told to remember the Shabbat day. Remember. The word remember comes from the Hebrew word zakah. Zakah means to remember or to imprint. imprint. Now, I want you to get that. Zakah means to remember or to imprint. Okay. Moreover, from this word, zakah, 
if we change the vowel points of the A to the E, we have the word zakar. Okay, now let me explain that. Zakar, which is the word for remember, is spelled Z-A-K-A-R, Z-A-K-A-R, zakar. And it means to remember or to imprint. But now, if we want the word uh, memorial, it is spelled Z-E-K-E-R. In other words, the only thing that we have done, we've taken Zakar, and we have taken the A's out of the word, and we have put the E in the place of the A's, so we have Zakar, and it means remembrance or a memorial. So what we have is that the Shabbat is a memorial. Therefore, every time the Shabbat comes around, it should trigger in our minds a remembrance of our Creator. It, the Sabbath represents our Creator. The Sabbath represents Him. Okay, now, the point that we want to deal with, we'll have to start with next week because that's pretty comprehensive. I didn't want to deal with it shallowly. So we, we'll stop at the representational stage, but next week we'll start back at the rulership stage. Remember, we got recognition, and then we have uh, uh, representation, and then with the third thing was we have rulership, and we'll start with that next week. So we'll stop at this particular uh, juxtaposition at this time. Okay, so you, just to rehash a little bit, the functions of a seal is the recognition, the representative, and the rulership. Right, those three things are what a seal is for. Uh-huh. Okay. And um, now, when it comes to the 144,000 that will receive the Father's name in their foreheads, they are, that's just, they're the only ones that's going to receive the seal in their foreheads. It's just 144,000. I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if it's limited to the 144,000, but we okay. know that the 144,000 are going to have it. Okay. Uh, there, there are some people who be uh, dealing uh, uh, who may not be a part of one hundred forty-four thousand, but they have, they have been, uh, they, have, they have had, they have been Sabbath keepers. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know if it's going to be limited to them, but he's saying distinctively that they will have it. And as we deal with this uh, seal of Elohim, we go. Uh, uh, as we go on with it, we'll be dealing with with some uh, things about to mark the uh, the seal uh, that goes just beyond uh, this Shabbat. Okay. Okay. We'll be dealing with some things there, but no, from my reading so far, it's not limited to the hundred and forty-four thousand, but okay. it is one of the marks or the seal of the hundred and forty-four thousand. Okay. And you were saying that the Shabbat is a seal or is it a representative of a seal? No, uh, Shabbat uh, represents Elohim, the creator. Okay. It represents him. Okay. So what we are trying to discover that if he has a seal, what is in that seal? We found out so far we have his name. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then we are also finding out not only do, do we have his name, but we have the very Shabbat itself that is representing him. Mm-hmm. Okay. And like I said, next week we did deal with the rulership. 
Okay. So we want to see all of these things in a, in a seal because if we're going to recognize the seal, we got to know what's in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I know, and too, what I found interesting with the word Cronus um, is that Cronus is also the Greek god of time, as you said. And it's very interesting because in the Marvel Comics movies, they have a character which supposedly is a bad guy. And it was just in the movie, Avengers movie, a couple of years ago. They had a character in there called Cronus. Only difference is they just changed the C to a K. And when you read the background of the superhero character, they said he's, in essence, he's almost godlike and all. And in the last Avengers movie, they supposedly had killed this guy. And it's just interesting that it seems like Satan is working through these things to implant things in people's minds that it, when Yah does come for them, instead of to embrace him, to fight him, mm-hmm. you know, cause it's like, it just seems like it's subtle hints in these movies and shows and all. And then when you start to tie it into certain things in scripture, you know, it merely makes you start to wonder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think this is interesting that you said that because I think when you study the seal of Elohim and the mark of the beast, mm-hmm. the mark of the beast is going to try to get the same authority that Elohim has. And if he can get enough people, and he will have some on his side because the Bible says, wide is the road that leads to destruction and many go there at, but uh, very few find the road, uh, you know, he said, very few found the road that leaded to life, you know, mm-hmm. very few. So we know that he's marshalling his forces together to re- be able to have that war of Armageddon. Yeah. Yeah, ultimately war, and that's going to be the war of the world. So, and before we get ready to move on, one last question. So it is a, a name, a seal? Is a name what? A seal, like, because how you mentioned that, you know, the first things we do when you have a child is give it a name. So mm-hmm. is that basically we're sealing that child when we name that child? Uh, in, in a way, you know, in a way you are. This, it could, like Elohim said, if we are redeemed, we're going to have a new name. We're going to have a new seal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now the way, I, the, the way I'm presenting the subject, while the name may not be the seal, it is a part of the seal because you got other elements that we're going to pick up in a seal, not only the name, but also uh, what, it, you know, what is in a seal that represents that represents the name okay. and also what give the name and the representation the rulership we mm-hmm. and that, that's what we are discussing that's we the rulership but we can say a name is a seal but in our discourse what we're looking at is a name is a part of the seal okay mm-hmm. so uh, uh, another one just uh question came to mind so um with that yahuwah did he he seal Adam? And if he did seal Adam, what changed when sin entered into the world? Did that seal, if he had a seal, was it removed or he never had a seal? Yeah, he, he had a seal. Uh, now, now uh, if I haven't dealt with the study, but uh-huh. when we when when we get into uh, what to call. Uh, Pneumatology, which is a study of the spirit, mm-hmm. 
automatically when Elohim breathes his Holy Spirit in there, he, he in, into Adam when he breathed it there, he was sealed by the Holy Ghost. Okay. Yeah, he had the mind of Elohim. Everything about him was sealed. Okay. And then when Satan came and they ate, they broke the seal. Okay. And so now we're trying to get them back to the seal. Okay. That's what the plan of salvation is about, is bringing us back to his seal. So the seal was broken when uh, sin entered the world and they sinned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when they broke the covenant, they also broke the seal. Mm. Mm. As far as their personal being, they had broke it, but outside of themselves, uh, just like I said, time is something that you can't destroy or touch. Uh-huh. You know, and I, I'll probably be dealing with a lot more with that, uh, showing that even though man tried to change it, it's still here. But as far as man is concerned, uh-huh. it, it's broken within him. But outside of him, the Lord said, I don't care what you do. You, you can't destroy the Sabbath because it's going to be every seventh day, whether you keep it or not. It's yeah. broken in you, but it still exists. You know, it's interesting, too, because uh, <laughs> we're going to deal with it a little bit more, too. And let's talk about it. But I was reading, I think it was in the book of Jubilees, and it was talking about uh, Shabbat. And I think Yahuwah was talking with Moses, and he was telling them that Shabbat has been in existence before the world was even created mm-hmm. and all. So, you know, it's interesting that Satan is not only trying to just change his day, he's in essence trying to change time, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's trying to sustain uh, Elohim's order of time. Yeah. 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 And if he can do that, then he said, well, Elohim got his time, I got my time. So therefore, you know, if I can give me some followers, then I can marshal up the forces that when he comes the second time, that we can get ready to go against this order of time and, and establish ours. Yeah. But Elohim will let him know that you may try it, but my word exists forever and it will destroy your word. Mm. Wow. Well, with that, we will go on to our next segment. Up next is Let's Talk About That. Well, today, as the pastor had touched on and talked about Shabbat, I want to talk about Shabbat Part 2 because we talked about Shabbat uh, several podcasts ago, I believe sometime last year. But I kind of want to expand on it. So if you have your Bibles, if you can turn with me to the book of Isaiah, we're going to be looking at two verses in the book of Isaiah. The first one we're going to be looking at, Isaiah, the 56th chapter, verse 2. Isaiah 56, verse 2, and it reads, Blessed is the man that does this, and the son of Adam that lays hold on it, that guards the Shabbat from polluting it, and guards his hand from doing evil. Now, if you would turn with me just two chapters down to Isaiah, chapter 58, verse 13. Again, that's Isaiah Chapter 58, verse 13, and it reads, If you turn away your foot from the Shabbat, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Shabbat a delight, the holy Yahuwah honorable and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. So my question today, Pastor, is... What is polluting Shabbat? What is it that we we could do that will be polluting Shabbat? Oh, well, when you deal with the word pollute, what you're talking about is you're taking something that uh, 
is foreign to that uh, which you have. Let's let's look at this way. Uh, if if in some countries, I don't know if here in the United States, but in certain countries, if you have olive oil, uh-huh. uh, you you have to make sure that your olive oil is strictly olive oil that comes from the olive, and you cannot mix it with any other oil. Now, okay. some country says that if you're going to sell olive oil and you're going to mix it with some other oil, it can only be to a certain percentage uh-huh. because if you go over that percentage, then you cannot say that you're selling olive oil. Okay, so when you look at pollution, pollution is something that you have something that is pure uh-huh. and then you put you put a foreign element in there. Okay. Okay, so now... When when uh, Elohim gave the Shabbat, if you would read it, he said you're not to do any work on the Shabbat. Okay. Now why is that? Because when we, as we were talking in our discourse, when you go back to the creation, it said Elohim on the seventh day he rested his work. Uh-huh. Okay. Now if we are the image of Elohim. We are not only in the image of Elohim when it comes to our appearance, but we also imitated or have an image of, of his behavior. Uh-huh. And what was his behavior? The behavior was when it came to seven day, he stopped his work. So that means that if we're going to follow his behavior and have an image of his behavior, that means when we come to the seventh day, we stop our work. And if we work on the, on the Shabbat, we are polluting the Sabbath. Okay. We're desecrating it. He said, I've given you this day to remember me. And I want you to think about the things that I created. And I want you to be able to receive the blessings that I put on the Shabbat and also the sanctification that is in the Shabbat. And if you do that, you, you're you keeping it. But if, if you're working, you're defiling your sanctification, you're messing up your blessing, you're polluting it. Uh-huh. So anything that uh, of a works nature that prohibits, that is prohibited by the Torah or the covenant, you say you shouldn't do it on the Sabbath. And if you do, you're polluting it. You're, you're defiling it. Okay. So... What can we do on Shabbat? You know, what are what are the parameters of things? We know we, we, we're not supposed to work. As the scripture says that we know we're not supposed to cook on Shabbat um, because the scriptures, well, when he brought them out of the uh, Israel, out of Egypt, he told them on Friday to gather more than what they normally would. So we know we're not supposed to cook or anything on Shabbat. So what type of things are we really to do on Shabbat? Because some people, I think, have questions. What is not breaking Shabbat and what is? Mm-hmm. You know, can okay. we watch regular mm-hmm. television programming on Shabbat? Can we go out and play a sport on Shabbat or uh, play a video games that are secular on Shabbat? Is it all that we have to just centered around Yah? Or is something, you know, we can do what we want outside of, you know, uh, working and cooking and everything? Okay, well, you know, there's a, uh, there's another text in the scripture, maybe even the book of Isaiah. I think many of us might be familiar with it. It said that we, sh- we should not do our own pleasures on, on, on the Shabbat. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, you know, playing video games and all that, that might fall into the category of doing our own pleasure. But okay. let's, let's take your question, what can you do? Now, there, there are a plethora of things that you could do on the Sabbath. Now, it's interesting that you raise the question because 
Number one is uh, when Adam was created, one of the first assignments that he was given was to name the animals. Okay. Okay. Now, now doesn't that suggest to you if if you to name the animals that you have to study the animals? Mm. Okay. Now, wow. if you study the life of Solomon, Solomon was one of the most brilliant men that Elohim that placed on the throne of Israel. And the Bible says about Solomon, he said, this man was so brilliant. He knew the various plants that grew out of the earth. And even if you have a plant growing in out of the crack of the sidewalk, Solomon knew the answer. He, he knew what type of plant that was. Mm-hmm. So what, so what Elohim is telling us, we can study plant, plant life on the Sabbath. Mm. Okay. Now, uh, many of the parables that Yeshua used, he he used he used uh, plants. You see, he he, yeah. he talked about uh, the wheat and the tares. Okay. He talked about the mustard seed and how it grows to illustrate faith and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We 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 can we can we can go to uh, 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 nature parks where they have nature, and we can walk out in nature and observe nature. That's that's his creation. We can we can study nature. We can uh, before the Sabbath comes. If we have a zoo in our area, we can get the tickets in advance and be able to go to zoo and to study animals. Mm-hmm. And if we are and if we are in a in, 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 in living in maybe a uh, uh, a rural area because sometimes it's very difficult in a, in an urban area, mm-hmm. uh, we can go out in nature and look to certain birds. Yeah. Yeah, I know certain areas, you know, that I've been in Georgia, you know, that you can look at and see certain birds and, and, and stuff fly around mm-hmm. and you can see the, the natural habitat. So that's some of the things that you can do. Another thing that you can do that maybe you didn't get a chance during a week to really get into the scriptures to study them as you should. Mm. You can you can set aside some time on, on the Shabbat that you individually and maybe the family can get together and study some scriptures that may have been a puzzle to you or something that you got to get more understanding, you can do that. Another thing that you can do on the, on the Sabbath outside of nature and studying the scriptures, uh, you can make it where you can have fellowship. And the fellowship can, can include other individuals uh, getting together and either studying the scriptures or studying nature or, or giving testimonies about how Elohim has blessed you a particular week and what he has done for you. It's a time of testimonies. Another thing that you can do on the Shabbat is to be able to uh, look at a, a maybe spiritual programs that can be able to enhance your walk with him. Because a lot of the technology now that uh, we are using, we have been using for a long time. There are many programs that people use to get health programs across and to sh- show how God's diet is, 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 is important. And another thing you can do on the Sabbath is to have a good Shabbat meal. Mm-hmm. It can be a fellowship meal. It can be a meal that when you eat it, you know it's in harmony with what he has given you to eat. And it doesn't have those things that you shouldn't eat in there to give wholesome vitality to your body. Another thing that you can do on the Sabbath is you can visit the sick. How, how many people are in nursing homes and the hospitals? They would desire for somebody to give them some strength socially that can come in and, and, and to visit now let let's take that question a little bit further. Okay. What can you do on the Sabbath? Well, wouldn't the Sabbath be a good time, just like me and you, we are discussing what to do on the Sabbath? Mm-hmm. Is to get a get a group together and say, hey, 
this side, we're going to discuss what are some of the things we can do outside of some of the things that I just mentioned yeah. and get to brainstorming. And you find so many things that that you can do on the Sabbath that when the sun goes down, you 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 have so much to do on the Sabbath that you say, oh, the Sabbath was not long enough. Yeah. I, I wish I had more time because some people saying saying that the Sabbath is boring. No, you know, the only reason why the Sabbath is boring. Mm-hmm. Is because you're not. We are not using our minds as we should. Mm, wow. do, do you do you know? In order to be bored, in order to be bored with anything, I don't care what it is in life. In order to be bored, that means you know everything about that thing. <laughs> but true. you don't know everything That's about true. it. So if you bored, yeah. that means you know everything about it. Yeah. But you true. don't. You think you do. You study a little bit about it. And you say, I know, and I'm bored. No, in order to be bored, you got to know everything. So since you don't know everything, there's no, there's another dimension of, of what you study. Just like if I study about the butterfly, and I say, well, you know, I'm getting bored. And then somebody said, well, did you study how the butterfly comes out of a cocoon? And that if you try to take a butterfly out of its cocoon without him struggling to get out of it, you, you would hurt that butterfly? Because the struggle that a butterfly has to get out of the cocoon uh-huh. is what makes his wings uh, what gives them wings to fly. Uh-huh. And when you keep on studying and studying into the butterfly, you're going to find out that when Elohim made the butterfly, he made something that if you study it, you can almost study for 10,000 years and you still are not going to understand the butterfly. Wow. See, what we are developing our minds to do in this world is what we are trying to develop our minds to do in the world to come. If you love to study and to read in this world, you like that in the world to come. And when we start challenging yourself to be able to go down into subjects and to study subject, you are doing this in this school. But when you graduate to the school above, Elohim will say, uh, you're going to study the rest of your life. But when you study and read, it's not going to be just in books, mm-hmm. but you're going to study nature, what I wanted Adam to study from the, from the get. And you're going to study flowers. You're going to study uh, botany. You're going to study uh, zoology. You're going to study the ast- astrology and all of this. And as you do it throughout eternity, your man is going to be fresh. Mm-hmm. Even after you get, have done the most intense study, your man is just going to be fresh as if you had just started. All because of the fact that he has given your man akin to his man to creatively go into his existence to be able to say to yourself, I want to be refreshed. And every Sabbath, you can be refreshed by doing certain activities, visiting the six, having a Sabbath meal, studying in nature, studying animals, being able to have fellowship and give testimony. All mm-hmm. of these things is what you can do. Now, another question of mine, and I, I want to give to before I pose it my viewpoint on it. I've had uh, people say they feel it's okay to buy and sell on Shabbat because it was this one scenario where a group wanted to meet and they wanted to fellowship by eating, but rather than prepare something previously and bring it, they're talking about going somewhere and buying a meal to fellowship and eat. In my opinion, in my standpoint, to me, you're breaking Shabbat. You are, when the scripture says you're not to have anybody in your household 
maid servant or man servant work. And I feel when you go out here and purchase something on a Shabbat, these people are working because they are getting paid. And you, in essence, are condoning it. That is my viewpoint. So I want to know, is it okay to buy and sell on Shabbat? Well, let me let me let me let me ask you in two ways. Uh, mm-hmm. We're gonna let the Bible speak, <clears throat> but one of the reasons why uh, Israel mm-hmm. was taken into Babylonian captivity was because of the fact they were breaking Shabbat, mm-hmm. and the Scriptures explicitly says that when they were taken into captivity, uh, the land had to rest because a lot of times they were working the land, and when Elohim said not only man should rest but also the land should rest on the seventh day. Mm-hmm. And they, they were breaking the Shabbat. So when they were taken into captivity, then the Bible says that uh, while they was in captivity and the land was resting, that the land was also keeping the Shabbat. Mm, okay. So he had, he had to get them off the land and put them in captivity because they were breaking Shabbat. <clears throat> now, here's, here's the thing I want to get there. When they was taken out of captivity, now, one, one needs to think that if I went into captivity of mm-hmm. 70 years of breaking the Shabbat, yeah. Wouldn't that suggest to you when I got out of Shabbat, I would not do that because that's what got me in captivity? Yeah. I mean, just I mean, that's just logical. Okay. Now let me let, let's turn to Nehemiah. Okay. Let's turn to the book of Nehemiah, chapter ten, and uh, we want to read. Let me see Nehemiah chapter ten. Uh, let me see. Okay. Uh, let, let's start with verse twenty-eight. Nehemiah chapter 10, we're going to start with verse 28, and we want to read on down. Now, the Bible says this. Now, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers, the Nephilims, and all they that had separated themselves from the people of the lands unto the law of, of Elohim, their wives, their sons, their daughters, and every one having knowledge and having understanding. Verse 29 says, they clave to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse, into an oath to walk in Elohim's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of Elohim, and to observe and to do all the commandments of Yah, our Adonai, and his judgments and his statutes. And verse 30 says, and, and that we would not give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. Now, I want you to pay particular attention to verse 31. So they, in other words, when they came out of captivity, Nehemiah and Ezra, you know, Ezra was the, uh, 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 the scribe, and, and Nehemiah was the governor. And they were trying to lead the people back after the Babylonian captivity. Now, notice what verse 31 says. And if the people of the land bring ware or visuals on the Sabbath day to sell, that we would not buy it of them on the Shabbat or on the holy day, and that we would leave the seventh year and the exactions of every debt. So the Bible is saying that you're not to buy or to sell. And when Nehemiah saw him doing that on the Sabbath, he said, mm-hmm. you're not to do it, and we're going to close the gate, and you're going to be outside of the gate, and if you continue to try to do it, that it's going to be a penalty. So mm-hmm. he let them know they're not to buy and to sell on the Sabbath. 
Okay. And then it says in verse 32, also we made an ordinance for us to charge ourselves yearly with the third part of a shekel for the shekel of the house of Elohim. Well, that's not really what we were dealing with, is it? Uh, okay, so what he was saying is, is that on the Sabbath, there was not to be buying and selling. And he said, if you continue to do this, we're not only going to close the gates, but we, we're going to have a penalty on you that you won't be able to buy and sell in Jerusalem. So it is definitely a breach of the commandment if we are buying and selling on the Sabbath. Okay, that's plain and clear. In 31, that was Nehemiah 10, 31. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's, um, you know, I mean, I get sometimes what people want in fellowship, but, um, you know, and sometimes I've even heard the argument, well, if I am out somewhere and I don't have any food, but I need to eat, you know, is it okay to buy? But I'm like this Shabbat is only just a few hours. And to me, you should be able to, if you don't have uh, any means of getting any food for that day, it's not going to hurt you to go a few hours without food, you know, you know, to wait till the end of Shabbat and then get you something to eat and everything. Yeah, well, that's true. Now, uh, there's two things that you're dealing with when you're dealing with the Shabbat. Now, mm-hmm. the Shabbat uh, is a holy day, you know, mm-hmm. not to be buying or selling now. If you, number one, he, uh, the, 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 the Bible explicitly said the first word of the, of the fourth commandment is remember. Yeah. So if you're going to remember something, that means it's not going to catch you out of words. If you know that you're going to be out of town or something, he has given you a preparation day to be able to, to prepare for that. But if you're going to be out of town, you don't have to wait until the preparation day. You can prepare for that uh, during the week. <laughs> okay. So number True. one is, as we pointed out, the Shabbat is connected to your mind. It teaches you to think. And people say, my, well, you know, we ain't got no food. Well, did you, did, you really, <clears throat> did you really use your mind to think that this is what you would be doing, that you should do, you, you know, this is what you should be doing? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, the other factor is this that you brought up about fasting, okay? Mm-hmm. They have found out that most times that we have an illnesses and disease and all this stuff, is that, is that we have been taught so much to eat three meals a day. Yeah. You got to eat this. Your best meal is breakfast. But nobody has taught us about fasting. They have found out that fasting has a lot of health benefits to go with it, along with the spiritual values that it offers. Because yeah. when you fast, it cleanses out the body. It renews the body. It helps it to get rid of a lot of waste. And a lot of people who may be suffering with obesity and, and trying to deal with... Uh, the the fatty tissue in the body mm-hmm. that if you fast sometimes you can get rid of this and it would not have his impact negatively on you as it would by just continuing to eating all the time yeah. so fasting has its benefits so when we look at fasting what did Yeshua say when he was on earth he said this he said when you fast now he's not something he said when you fast mm-hmm. now if he said when you fast wouldn't that seem like he's saying to you that I'm expecting you to fast? He didn't say he didn't say you weren't gonna fast or 
or, 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 or whatever. He said, but when you fast, so when you fast, you're entered into a, a physical program in life that uh, Elohim himself has endorsed so that your body can renew itself. Because when you look at the Shabbat, the Shabbat, if you want to deal with, like most people, when they want to have fun, they say, well, we're going to engage in recreation. Mm-hmm. But what is the true word for recreation? If you take the true word for recreation, if you take the R-E, and then you see uh, C-R-E-A-T-I-O-N, mm-hmm. and you put the R-E with creation, you have recreation. Mm-hmm. But if you look at true recreation, it's to recreate. Mm-hmm. You recreate yourself. How do you recreate yourself? You do it through fasting. And when you recreate yourself through fasting, you're going to find out that you really didn't eat that meal. And when you come into a, another day, you can go ahead and eat. But your body has gone through something that's just going to benefit the entire body. So we have a question. Is it, is it okay to fast on Shabbat? Because I know it was somewhere, too, in, um, I can't recall, in one of the Apocrypha books that uh, it's, I will have to look it up maybe for next time. But it spoke on, I guess, not fasting on Shabbat. But I don't know the whole context of it. But we do have a question. Someone wanted to know, is it okay to fast on Shabbat? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer that question in two ways. Okay, the, the first the first way I'm I'm gonna answer it is uh, sometimes for health benefits you you may want to fast on on the Shabbat. Uh-huh. Okay, now it's interesting that when I was working as a hospital chaplain, when people come into the hospital, a lot of times the doctor let them know you cannot eat anything. Uh-huh. You can't eat. You know, you can you can you can fuss and you can fight, but they say you're not gonna eat. Okay, now. All right. So now, if we got healthy, if we got healthy cell bodies, mm-hmm. we can we can choose some Sabbath that that we that we can fast, because the fasting uh, sometimes cleanses out the body in such a way it makes the mind that much more clear that when we read the scriptures and we get into spiritual stuff, mm-hmm. our minds are more keener to really to understand it. Mm-hmm. So it can be a blessing by fasting on the Sabbath. Now, the second way I'm going to ask you this question is this. Mm-hmm. That if somebody say it was wrong to fast on the Sabbath, then Yeshua he fasted for forty days and forty nights. Now, how yeah. many Sabbaths do you get in there? Yeah, and that that that's mm-hmm. one of the things that um, I'm like, how could this be when Yahusha fasted, like he said, for forty days? Mm-hmm. So it was Sabbath in there, mm-hmm. and all. So um, you know, well, let's take yeah. it a step further. Then let's let's step on back to the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Moses was up in the mouth before the days and before the nights. Twice he fasted. Yeah, true. And when he came down, that man was so brilliant that his face was shining. And yeah. I think if we take time to fast and pray some Sabbath, I'm not talking about every Sabbath, you know, because, yeah. I mean, one of your best meals should be on the Sabbath. You should not gorge yourself, but it should be your best meal. Yeah. And I'm saying when you take time to fast, it has so many different benefits. And when you get those benefits, then spiritually you're more, 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 more keener. Yeah. See, when, when Yeshua was in the wilderness, he said, man shall not be lived by bread alone, but by every word to proceed out of the mouth of Elohim. What he was saying is that bread or eating is not life. Eating doesn't give you life. What mm-hmm. gives you life is Elohim's spirit. So when his spirit gives you life, all food does is sustain life, but it's not life. This is why Moses didn't die when he was in the, in the wilderness, because 
he was in the presence of Elohim, he couldn't die mm-hmm. because of the spiritual forces. So when he came out of the mount, he may have to eat, but the eating was on his same life. But it is a spirit that gives us life. You got a lot of people who are breatharians. They don't eat any food at all. All they do is walk in the sunshine and get fresh air. Mm. I'm not encouraging that, but what I'm just saying, you can live without food, but food is to sustain life. It is not life. When Adam, when the breath of when the breath of Elohim went into Adam, it gave him life. Mm-hmm. But he said, in order to sustain life, Adam, I've given you life, but you sustain it by your food. Mm. So if you take the Sabbath sometimes just to abstain from food, I think it would be a lot beneficial for you both physically and spiritually and mentally. And, you know, it just goes back to, to what you were saying in the beginning, too, is that if we were to take out time and study the plants and everything, you would know which ones are edible and which ones are not. And mm-hmm. if you was hungry, you could go to the plants and take from those plants to eat mm-hmm. and all, you know. So, you know, I, I think sometimes we have to just think outside the box. We can't just think in normal ways we got food. Because, I mean, you know, we know that was okay because when the disciples, they was going walking through the fields with Yahusha and they were plucking um, wheat to eat and how uh, they were questioned mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. it. And, and Yahushua didn't have, it was no problem. It wasn't nothing. The food was already prepared, technically. You just grabbed no. it and eat it. Right. Well, according to the uh, the laws that Elohim had already established in Israel, it was all right for you to go buy a person's crop. Mm-hmm. And a corner of that crop was for the stranger anyway. Mm. But now you, could, you couldn't take nothing extra with you now. That would have been stealing. Uh-huh. But if you were hungry, he had built in that, yet you can eat of another person's uh, a field. But that's all you need to eat is what you need. Don't take anything extra. Wow. Just like my now my dad was telling me that when he was over in the Philippines, when they, uh, when they were fighting, uh, he said when he was on the Philippines, uh, a lot of times they needed food. And he said the way that they know what to eat is, he said, you watch what the monkey eat. He said, mm-hmm. the monkey eat this, you eat it, because the monkey is not going to eat anything poison. They know the plants out there. Wow. So if the monkey eat it, he said, you can eat it. But if the monkey don't eat it, don't you fool with it. Wow, that's interesting. And you know, it's mm-hmm. crazy because I, uh, I think most animals, it's like that. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they're not going to eat anything that's going to poison us. They kind of know what is good for them and what isn't. Mm-hmm. You know, generally, especially out in nature. Oh yeah, you know. definitely. You got birds flying all around our house, and we put insecticides and all that on our plants and stuff. They yeah. never eat it. They never die because they know what to eat. Yeah. And then when you when you take uh, 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 animals when they get sick, what do they do? They'll just go to some natural stuff like grass inside eating it because yeah. they know that that's what they need. Yeah. They know that that nature out there is their doctor. But Elohim has given us the same nature, but somehow we find that we have to get some pharmaceutical products and all that. But he says your medicine is your food and your food is your, your medicine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, pastors, we'll close out this show. Can you take us to the throne in prayer? Our loving Father, again, we thank you for another wonderful opportunity of being able to share that word and most of all to be able to fellowship one with another. And now, Father, as we go throughout the rest of the Shabbat, we may be sanctified and have the blessings that you have in store, that when the sun sets, you would have given us all of the things, O Heavenly Father, that the Shabbat affords to us that we can be better prepared to go into a new week. Continue to bless the sick and the shedding, 
Many people are worried about what's going on over in, in Russia and the Ukraine. Many people are wondering what's going on, oh, Father, with the different diseases that has been plaguing us for so long. But we know that if we keep our minds stayed upon thee, Lord, that you can give us the riches and a mind that would have the peace and the understanding to go through the times of crisis. And as we go through these times, oh, Heavenly Father, help us to be able to remember your covenant and to be able to share it with others that when your son does come, May all of the blessings that you have bestowed upon us and all of the sicknesses that you have healed and all of the dead that you have raised, we can look back and give your name to praise. And we can look forward, O Heavenly Father, from graduating to this planet, to the new heavens, and come back to a, a new heavens and a new earth in which we'll be able to exist eternally. Knowledge is eternal. Space is eternal. Time is eternal. And you will give us eternal bodies, O Heavenly Father, to match the eternal time and also the eternal existence that we have. And one of the things that we will study, we will study nature. But one of the greatest sciences that we will study, we will be able to study the cross. We will be able to study the crucifixion of the Messiah, which is the love of Elohim for the human race. And we will study that throughout eternity. And when we think we have observed and studied all of the things that deal with love, Elohim is going to open up new vistas of knowledge and understanding about the love of Yeshua for us. And we'll study that love of Elohim throughout eternity, world without end. We look forward to that day. And now, Father, as we give you ourselves, we ask that you would take us and do for us that which is needed. And in the end, when we are redeemed in your kingdom at last, we'll give your name the praise, the honor, and the glory, majesty, dominion, power, and all of the thanks for your wonderful blessings of Yeshua. And in his name we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. So I want to reiterate, if you are bored on Shabbat, come fellowship with us every Saturday, every Shabbat at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We would love to have you. But if not, please still continue to tune in to our podcast. But if you can Tune in to us live on our website, psychov.com, S-C-I-C-O-V.com, every Saturday, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So we continually encourage you to study your Bible. As it says, study to show thyself approved unto Elohim and workmen that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And we should study the scriptures every single week. That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. Until next week, shalom.